Welcome to the Bureau Briefing, a podcast by the Bureau of Digital, an organization devoted to giving digital professionals the support system they never had. Each episode, we're going to talk to a member of our community doing awesome, inspiring things. Now for your host, Carl Smith. Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Bureau Briefing. It is Carl, and with me today, I have got a digital PM from Simple, Caitlin Schaefer. How's it going, Caitlin? It's going great. Now, Caitlin, I know you're going to be joining us at the Digital PM Summit in San Antonio, and that's going to be this October 12th through 15th. And I wanted to get you on the show today for two reasons. One, I think your transition from a previous career into becoming a digital project manager is fascinating. And then secondly, to really talk through your your input on postmortems, because I know that's what you're going to be talking about at the summit. So if you don't mind... Could you explain to everybody how someone who goes from being a stage manager in a theater setting becomes a digital project manager? I can. Um, So I spent um, almost a decade probably as a stage manager and production manager for live theater. I was working for uh, mostly, you know, real small nonprofit organizations with a couple of bigger gigs here and there. Um, But uh, that that nonprofit life uh, burned me out a little bit. Uh, there's a lot to do and not a lot of money. So I decided to, to quit my life in Minneapolis. I'm going to pick up and move to Portland, Oregon, uh, where I was going to start a new life for myself. Uh, and project, at that time, project management was not even on my radar. Um, I had you know, spent my entire career in the arts. I didn't think of myself as having any skills outside of that. Um, uh, like that's, I thought that I was just going to have to start, uh, at ground zero on some other thing in my life. So when I got to, when I got to Portland, um, I found simple and I actually started here in the, uh, in the customer relations department, I was answering phones and, and talking to customers. And here's what I learned about myself, uh, when I stopped working as, uh, as a production manager or project manager. Um, I actually don't stop working as a project manager. Uh, it doesn't matter what my job is. doesn't matter what I'm supposed to be doing. What I actually end up doing is project management. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think a lot of other people in this industry have that same experience. Um, so I, I was in customer relations, and I, just, I would see these processes that I thought could be improved. And when I joined Simple, there was like 70 people at the company. There was still a lot of room and latitude to like look at a broken thing and say, I want to fix that thing and then fix it and then move forward. Uh, so, so over my first year of employment here at simple, I, I just did a lot of that. Hey, that thing could be tweaked. Let's, let's just rewrite all this messaging. So it's more consistent. Uh, who needs to sign off on, on the things and, and what problem are we really trying to solve? And, you know, asking those project management questions, uh, and then when a, when a job position opened up on the project management team, um, I moved over uh, to project management. I will say from the digital perspective, I have a little bit of a leg up there that moving into this industry was not so hard for me. Um, my dad's a computer science professor, so I grew up with computers and technology, and he's a real early adopter. And then, um, and then I worked for like the student computing IT department all four years of college. So... Um, so the technology piece comes easily to me, and I, I didn't have to like ramp up on that. So, so your dad is not only into computers, but he's teaching. Yeah, you are all around computers and and 
doing everything in college around technology, and then you end up in theater. So how how did you escape the gravity of of computers and tech? I thought I was going to be an actor. No, this is great. I thought I was going to be an actor until like after sometime in my first year of college or maybe my second year of college when I really, you know, I would watch uh, in, in theater, like all the backstage people, they all wear these headsets. So I was an actor and I would be standing backstage or I would be, uh, you know, around the production and I would see all these people organizing things and talking to each other on headsets and just making things so efficient. And I was always so jealous. Uh, I was like, I want to, I want to know what they're talking about. I want to make decisions. I want to, I want to figure out how to make this work better. And so, um, I, you know, my, my, I ended up assisting on a production like my sophomore year of college and I was hooked and I never really, never really went back to acting after that. I am over here with the biggest smile on my face because so I I was in theater for a long time and I finally realized I wasn't very good. Like I, like I was good enough to get the part, but I was never going to be good enough to like make it where I would make more than forty thousand dollars a year doing this, right? right? Yeah. And uh, so so to hear your story and think of being backstage and seeing all of the people managing everything. Uh, I never had that desire. And so it's funny. All I wanted was to be on stage. But I, would, I always thought that the people on the headsets like wanted to be on stage too. But now I'm realizing, no, they, they really enjoyed that aspect. And it's just fun to hear that you were sitting there you know, backstage or, and, and you saw them and you were like, what are they talking about? And then you went for it. Now, you had you said 10 years. And I can appreciate getting burned out uh, on the nonprofit stuff. So you make the move to Portland. Why Portland? It's not Minneapolis. I don't know. Uh, I had never moved. So I born and raised in Minneapolis, sort of like everything in my life happened in like three square miles for the first 20 odd years of it. Um, and, uh, you know, I would like have lunch with my dad every week because we worked six blocks away from each other. And, and I love Minneapolis. It's a great city and I love my family. Um, but I, I just, you know, uh, you know, anybody who's moved somewhere knows that there's that that offers you some insight into being a person that uh, can't really be replicated anywhere else. But I was too intimidated to move to like Chicago or New York or somewhere real big. Um, and Portland seemed like a like a digestible size. I, I can totally get that. And and Portland does have that kind of welcoming feel to it. It does. You know, and, and it's interesting because I've talked with Aaron Draplin about this when he was leaving Michigan and he ended up, you know, wanting to get to Portland. I, I think it does have that kind of welcoming vibe that gives you, you know, a step to a new location that's got a lot going on, but it doesn't seem like it's going to swallow you whole. No, it's not overwhelming. You know, like I got here, I got my bike, I bike around. It has not taken, you know, I've been here almost three years now and. I feel like I know the city really well. I run into people I know everywhere I go. Like it didn't take very long to feel like a, a home. So you get there, you get to Portland. How did you end up applying for the job at Simple? Did you know somebody that was in the interactive <laughs> no. space or you just no. randomly? I had a Simple account. That's it. There you I go. Had, I had a Simple account. I got here. Um, I moved here with uh, with my with my partner. He was like, well, you know, Caitlin Simple's based here. You should see if you can work for him. And I, I, it's so, it's the only job I applied for when I got here. Like I moved <laughs> here, I moved here practically sight unseen. I didn't have a job. 
uh, we were like living in a friend's condo. Um, yeah. And, and I, I applied for the job like the first week I was here and like call back the following week and interview and they hired me. And, um, you know, there's Portland has a reputation for being where young people come to retire because there's no work. And here I am, I show up and I apply for one job and, you know, two and a half years later, three years later, uh, I'm in this successful, great career doing work that I love. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty spectacular. Well, congratulations. Cause that, that is a wonderful story. And, and you're right. It's not one that, that happens for everybody. So, and, and how nice for your partner to say, Hey, you like that company. You should, right, you should exactly. see if they're hiring. And then you do. That, and that's <laughs> phenomenal. And then you're, you're answering phones and, and you see the processes and you say, you know what, I want to help with the processes. And then that happens. So now what is your day to day like now? Uh, so we are, um, you know, I'm on a product team that's focused on a particular sort of aspect of our product. Uh, we, we sort of recently transitioned over to uh, a more sort of autonomous product team model where many of you will find this familiar if you work for product-based teams and not agencies where we sort of like, my team is responsible for delivering on some high-level business outcomes, mm-hmm. but, but within that, we have a lot of, we have a lot of autonomy. So, um, you know, we work integrating with partners. Sometimes, uh, we work on process improvements across our, you know, like, like flow improvements across our customer facing apps. We do some work on building internal tools to make, you know, customer relations lives easier and marketing's lives easier. So, uh, so, and I, and I manage that team, uh, from a, you know, from a project management perspective, working directly with product managers and designers and developers, um, to, to build, to build our product better. So when we're in San Antonio, you're going to get on stage and you're going to talk about postmortems. I am. And, 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 and I'm going to interrupt you right now and say that here at Simple, we call them learning reviews. Okay. Um, but that word postmortem sort of implies that something died. Exactly. And I was going to say, we used to call them retrospectives, Yep. right? Which is something that is also very, very popular term. But what did you say you call them? Learning reviews. There you go. Learning reviews, which means this is something we're going to learn from and move on, which is much nicer versus how did this product die? Right. How did the project die? Exactly. And that retrospective word I don't love always either because it implies just looking backward and learning that that learning review implies, you know, the the forward looking, um, which, uh, and, you know, I'll talk about this when we're there, but something that I hear from a lot of people when I talk about this process is like, how do you keep it from just being a bunch of people sitting around in a room talking about what went wrong? Yeah. Uh, And, and that, that emphasis on learning that like the whole point of the whole thing is to make it better next time. Yeah. Uh, and it's real important to, to focus on that, um, in, in whatever your, in whatever your postmortem or learning review uh, process is. So as a wonderful segue, how do you keep everyone from just kind of piling on to the negativity of the things that went wrong? And I mean, I've been in those postmortems. I'm going to call it the ones yeah. that I was in. They were postmortems, right? Right. This thing did not go well. And, uh, and it was one of those situations where people got negative or defensive or it, there, was, there was not a benefit to the way it was being done. So, so what's your recommendation there? So what we do here at Simple uh, is that, especially for big projects, especially for things that might be um, either really cross-functional, you know, touching a lot of departments or really emotionally charged, we always have a, a facilitator 
in the room who was not part of the project that's being discussed, who's not, who wasn't part of the incident that we're reviewing, you know, wasn't part of the thing. And there, that person's job there in the room is to really facilitate the conversation, to call people on cognitive biases, to, to call out when, you know, we, we talk about doing blame-free postmortems or blameless, you know, it's about improving processes and not pointing fingers. And it's, and it can be really helpful to have someone in the room who really doesn't have an emotional connection to the thing, just to kind of keep people honest, um, to say, Hey, this conversation is going in an unproductive place. We're going to cut it off here and, and move over. Let's talk about this piece instead. That's more productive. Um, and that's been hugely helpful. That, that sounds amazing. And, and it sounds super smart to have a facilitator who really doesn't have a, a stake or, or any kind of, for lack of a better word, ego attached Right. right. And, 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 you know, anybody who volunteers to be a facilitator, uh, has some, has some experience, you know, they're, they're good at doing that work. So right. we never get into a position where just because, you know, the, the person in charge of the department who called the meeting then facilitates, that doesn't, not, not every manager, not every project manager, not every product manager is good at facilitating a conversation like that. Right. Uh, and it's great to not have to make people do something they're not great at. I'm curious, when the facilitators come in, do they come in cold or do they know something about the project? They know something. So, so our process here, uh, we have a little like pre-learning review questionnaire that we ask everybody to, to fill out. It takes five or ten minutes maybe. It, that, that really helps the conversation go better. You know, it forces the people in the room to, t- to think about to, you know, to do a little bit of retrospection before they walk into the room, they're prepared with what they want to talk about, the things that they care about most. And, and those questionnaires get shared with the facilitator, um, before, before the meeting actually. And I'll say this happened a couple weeks ago. Uh, a department asked me to come and facilitate, uh, a learning review for them. And I sent out the questionnaire and by the morning of the meeting, I didn't have all the question. I, I only had one questionnaire back. There are going to be like 10 people there. I, I, and I only had one person who had responded and I just rescheduled the meeting and I sent them all, uh, not nasty, but you know, a pretty honest email <laughs> saying, uh, you know, this isn't going to be useful if we don't do our homework. I'm going to reschedule this for a week out. Don't forget to get this questionnaire back to me. I probably won't reschedule it a second time. Now, was the lack of response any kind of indicator to the way that the meeting itself was going to go? It wasn't. You know, I think people just get busy. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't think that it was willful or, or angry. I think uh, people just didn't know to prioritize it, didn't realize how important it was so that, you know, I learned something about the communication there to, that I can, I can communicate uh, earlier how important it is to do that work. Yeah, definitely. Are there any rules like when when a facilitator starts uh, one of the learning reviews? Do they say this is kind of a a set of ground rules for us to follow? Yeah, uh, yeah, we do. We have sort of um, rules of engagement or a little uh, like mission statement um, that we share. Uh, I have something, you know, I, I wrote something that a facilitator can read, but anybody can sort of paraphrase it where we talk about it being blameless. We talk about it being process-based. We talk about avoiding biases. We talk about, um, being action oriented. We talk about why we have a third party facilitator and we talk about, um, how this sort of fits into a broader company, uh, perspective on learning and growth. Now you're going to be focusing on learning reviews 
for mainly product-oriented projects, right? Well, uh, it's funny that you say that. That's what I have some experience in, but, um, but I also, you know, we're working on how we bring our vendors into our um, learning review processes, which okay. we haven't done a ton of recently, but it's, but like, that's sort of an initiative that I'm really undertaking right now to how do we invite other people into our process and say, this is how we do it. This is why we do it this way. Join us, let us teach you. And that's where I see, um, you know, talking to people in, uh, in agencies who are working a lot with clients. I think that, that building some skills around establishing a process for yourself that is strong enough to bring someone else into because Mm -hmm. how valuable would it be to bring a client in and say, you know, maybe, maybe you're going to have an ongoing relationship, but maybe you're not. And if you can both walk away better at working with agencies from the client side or better at working with clients from an agency side, because you were able to sort of have some honest sharing about how a project went, how that, that might unlock a lot. Um, that's exactly where I was going to go because the, at my shop, which is just kind of sitting there resting right now, but when she was running, we got to a point where we would invite clients in, right, to our retrospectives, which is what we call them. But we would explain to the clients at the beginning of the project, at the end of the project, we're going to get together and talk about how it went. And we really want you to be there because that's the only way we can get better. And it'll be an opportunity for you to get better as well. And the thing that we found was when we explained to a client that we were going to have this meeting at the end, the projects went better. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. And in the retrospectives, we would find out that there were a few things they weren't sure about, but it didn't bother them because they knew they were going to get to talk about them later. And it didn't seem to be interfering with the project at all. And for us, I think one of the great things was before we did that, before we invited clients in, we ended up with a rule which was you were never allowed to use the words, the client. (laughs) So if you were going to say why something went off the rails, you weren't allowed to say the client. You weren't, because that meant that we were no longer in control. If we were going to suddenly say that somebody outside of the team, and then somebody said, well, the client's on the team. And we went, oh, yeah, the client should be here. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And the times that we didn't, now sometimes some of the clients, you know, they were big. And they didn't want to play our little hippie game. You know, they, that's how they saw it. And uh, so that, that was really interesting. But so, so I'm wondering, what would you, for an agency, like how would you advise them in terms of onboarding a client? Or, or in your case, it's simple, a vendor. Like what have you thought about in terms of ways to bring them in so that they're ready? Yeah, so um, a, a couple of the things that I've thought about, uh, because we do them often and we have a real um, value around them being pretty transparent here, I would invite a vendor to come and observe, you know, uh, observe one yeah. that isn't about your project and just see how it is, see how it goes. Uh, another way that I would, I love that, um, you know, tell them from the get-go, you know, put it in the contract, whatever, like this is a thing that we do and expose them to some of the kinds of questions and conversations that happen then you can sort of revisit it as things come up uh, along the way of the project to say, hey, this seems, like, this seems like a really great conversation to have in that retrospective, in that learning review uh, at the end. So I, like, we've come to a decision on this now and we'll move forward, but let's just bookmark this and talk about this then so that you're sort of preparing the agenda a little bit um, and signaling a little bit of what kinds of conversations happen there. Um, the other thing to do is, uh, you know, especially if you're working in, in sprints, if you, if you have some sort of like regular cadence of work and you have 
uh, like retrospectives in the middle of that, invite your clients to those because ultimately your, your final, you know, end of project learning review doesn't have to be materially different than any of your sort of mid project check-ins. And if you sort of invite your client into some of those, obviously not all of them because it's sort of repetitive and boring and really in the weeds. But if you sort of have, oh, this one is going to be interesting. Let's invite the client into this one um, to, to, to have this interesting conversation about something that's really immediately relevant. That can be another really great way to sort of ramp somebody up. I think that's great advice, especially not making the final learning review or postmortem or retrospective any different than one that happens at another phase of the project, right? If, right? if it is, if you're in that regular cadence, even if you're in a waterfall process, there's certain key moments where having everybody there and doing it in a way that's just, hey, we're just checking in, we're just seeing what's working, what's not working, but now is really an important time to share, right? And then right. making and, that and- last one not that big of a deal. This is just the last one. And that's a great point. You know, you don't have to have sort of a full-on agile-style cadence of work process-based situation to do, you know, we called them mid-mortems for a while. <laughs> uh, you know, we would do it's not dead yet. and then we would do mid-mortems, <laughs> and then we'd do post-mortems, and it all became sort of a, yeah, a bastardization of language a little bit. But, um, you, you know, you can have them whenever. You don't have to wait until you're at some sort of, like, project milestone in the middle to have a retrospective or a learning review. Um, just sort of anytime you're like, you know, a check-in would be great about now what's working, what's not, how's the communication going, are people feeling good and on the same page or bad and not on the same page. Um, it's a good time to like check against the budget. Uh, if that doesn't get done regularly and have that conversation and talk about trade-offs there. Uh, so, so that, that, you know, middle of project check-in that you invite the client to, can be really useful. Um, and, I, you know, I'm sort of of the opinion that with a good facilitator, the more people in the room, the better. Um, a good facilitator will help that go well. No, I, I totally agree with that as well. Now, we're running out of time, but I did have one question I wanted to ask, which is, yeah. what do you do after that meeting? How do you take that information, what you've, what you've gathered, and make sure that it actually gets used going forward? So we always end um, our learning reviews here at Simple with at least five minutes and sometimes 10, depending, um, on identifying three immediately actionable items that someone in the room is willing to own. Immediately actionable means can be done in two to four weeks. Um, and, and, you know, if, if, the, if the ultimate finding of the thing is that we want to completely rewrite this whole process or fire this vendor and hire a new vendor, um, that's not... Action, that's not immediately actionable, nor is it something that one person can own. So what can one person own? All right. I can identify the decision makers here, the people who need to be in the room to push this forward, and I can call a meeting with them and tell them about what we discovered here. And, that, and then a person raises their hand and says, I'll own that. And then as a facilitator, I, I have that in the notes, and I follow up after two or three weeks, and I say, so, so how's it going there? Um, what's, what's happening with that? And then ideally... Um, I will send uh, an update to everybody who is at the learning review and say, all right, three weeks out, here's the follow-up that's happened. Um, and, and, you know, this is, the, this is what has changed and this is how you can build on this and go from here. Well, that 
that's amazing. I mean, you just do it. You just find somebody who says, I'll take responsibility. This is something I know I can do. Caitlin, first of all, congratulations on making your way to a great place and carving out a great career. So good job. And thank you for being on the show and sharing with us what you're doing at Simple. We appreciate it. It was such a pleasure. And I look forward to seeing you and, uh, and whoever else is there in San Antonio in October. Sounds great. And everybody that was listening, thank you very much. And we'll talk to you next week. Have a great one. 